Hey, hey, we're back again. We're back again from both sides of the world. We're like the earmuffs of the world. <laughs> Just covering it up, keeping it warm at night. Um, yeah, two. With an electronic headband linking us together. Yeah, that last Q&A was so much fun. We had to do another one. We had to. And we have. Oh, we just had so many questions left yeah, over. I know. And if people have questions, please keep sending them to me. I'll, I'll, I'll put them in this document and we'll, we'll answer. We don't need more than a, an, a scrap of an excuse to face each other <laughs> exactly. and chat and, uh, and make another podcast. I don't know, man. We still got like one question left. We should do another podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, we should do another one. We'll do a syllable at <laughs> <Yeah>. a time. <laughs> um, uh, but really, though, I mean, those first six episodes were just us picking a question and talking about that one question for an episode. So now we have yeah. like a whole bunch to just shoot through here. Uh, and uh, let's start. Uh, let's start. Let's just start. All right. Well, I have one from Jeff here that says, uh, I know that what you were saying is made up on the spot, but do you discuss a plan beforehand? Oof, that's a good question. Uh, I think because uh, yeah. I, th- I think it's a good question because it's kind of a complicated question because like, yes, but no. Right. Like, yeah. like not in the way most people think we do, but we still do. Yeah. Sometimes. I feel like most. I think the audience thinks we uh, thinks we have like bullet points written down that we're going to, and then sometimes people do, <laughs> like they, with their with their structure or their form. But basically, they're uh, you know, it's that idea, it's that idea of of oh no, well you had to. It was the show was so good, you had to have written it. Like it's it must have been planned. Yeah, or or like they think we've planned out the story or the characters somehow. When that's like the one mm-hmm. thing we haven't planned out at all. And it's like, no, no. We talked yeah. about the edits or like the editing technique. We talked about the, mm-hmm. the intro. We talked about the pace, like maybe depending on the format. You know, we talked about the style. We talked about all that. Uh, but the one thing we didn't really talk about was the story. And I didn't know I was going to play that old man character. I know. You don't believe me, but yeah. I didn't. I did not plan it. Yeah. I mean, it's the it's the most backhanded compliment ever for improv, and it's and it's the most bittersweet compliment as well because you're like people don't believe that you're making up because it's so good, it's beyond their comprehension. They're like, oh my god, that had to have been written and rehearsed, yeah. like it was amazing, yeah. and and you're like, well, well, it wasn't, but it was still amazing. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, yeah, we just made yeah. it up. It's even more amazing. Uh, yeah, and yeah. and uh, so so yes, we do plan things, but not the things people mm-hmm. expect us to plan. And instead, yeah. we might plan other types of, uh, like the format or the or the intro to the show or whatever, but not. And I've done I've done improv shows or improv sets where we've been doing it in characters, so we know the premise and we know the characters that we're bringing in because it's kind of the kind of comedy characters that that we bring in. So we know what characters and stuff we're doing beforehand, but we still don't know any of the content that we're going to do throughout the 20 minutes we we have had you know we're 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 doing this kind of mix of sketch and and improv where we know the premise and we know the characters but it's still all improvised you know um even though we're returning with the same characters over and over again we're learning more about the characters um each time that we do something like that as well so um yeah there there are times where we we might know exactly what the content is going to be by by character or by offer or anything like that but we still don't know what the actual content will be <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah so um yes and no jeff <laughs> yes yeah. and no uh okay cool uh i got one here 
uh, which I think yeah. is uh, is an interesting one uh, because of how it's like framed here. So it's this. Uh, it feels like there's so much to remember when doing improv, listening, character, story, etc. If you had to prioritize what to focus on in the beginning, how would you rank it? Or would you say to not focus on one thing? So that's a, the, uh, 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 that's from Lauren. I think it's a nice, I, I think the way the question, question was asked is what makes it so fascinating to me. Not just like that there's a lot of things to remember and which one's most important, but like prioritizing what to focus on in the beginning. Now, do you think she's asking mm-hmm. the beginning of the scene or the beginning of your improv career? Uh, let's say both. Yeah. I think at the beginning of your improv career, because it sounds to me like in the question that there's, you know, there's lots that you'll get in a one-on-one class mm-hmm. that you've got to remember, particularly if you're new to improv. Uh, but also it could be the beginning of a scene as well. They're very, very similar <laughs> yeah. things. Um, but I, I yeah, I, I mean, addressing uh, the both of those contexts for me is the same answer and it's listening. Um, for me, it, it, you can't do any of the other stuff, character or story, uh, or, or anything like that if you're not listening well. Um, you need to understand where you fit in the story. You need to understand what the story, uh, needs. Uh, all of these things only come from you understanding what's happening around you. And, and, and you learn about story, you learn about character, you learn about deliverings, what's needed when. But if you're not listening to that and you're, you're thinking about those particular things, you're not listening to the scene that you're in, you're going to miss those points where where you can come in on so uh and you're listening in several different ways you're not only listening to um you know uh, narrative character uh story you're actually listening to the improvisers you're watching their body language you're seeing if they're panicked you're seeing you're listening for for that relationship as well you're listening to to uh, what offers the other people are giving you um contextually so uh if someone's on stage and they're a little bit unsettled then i'm listening uh, with with empathy to go all right well how do i make this person calm down a bit i'll go out and i'll do some grounded connected eye contact to kind of work with them so not only are you listening to all those other things but if if you're not listening you're not seeing what's happening around you both with the improviser the story, the narrative, um, and so you, then you start missing things. Again, it's that skipping rope of where you jump in and where you jump out kind of feel, and you, you start getting on the side of the stage going, I don't know where, how, or, or, or what to fit in with anymore because once you get that narrative happening in your head, you're not listening even more, and so you're missing more of those little things. So it get yourself out of your own head because uh, the more you're worried about doing things like story or characters right, uh, the more you're missing offers in the moment yeah. um, from from improvisers. Yeah, totally. And I think, um, I think, uh, I mean, I agree. As far as scene work goes, I would say like 100% listening is the first thing you should be doing, like looking at each other, seeing what's going on. Mm-hmm. But I would go one step further if it's like at the beginning of your improv career. And it's the thing you were just touching on at the end there about like things that are getting you in your head and now you're not going to be listening. So, f- like for me, I always I always mm-hmm. focus first on like on just being playful and not being afraid to fail, and like not not getting not worrying about uh, the mistakes that are going to happen 
even though like mm-hmm. you worrying about them has no effect on whether or not they're going to happen and in fact has a better chance of making them happen so it's that like yes. like learning to to let go of those failures as much as possible and to not worry about that uh and just be in this like present playful non non afraid state because then you can actually start listening uh so if it's like the first time you come to a class i i don't i don't tell people like all right today we're working on listening it's usually like today we're yeah. gonna have fun and we're gonna like learn to like fail yeah. and play and be you know uh i don't want to say the term be children again but you know that kind of child childlike yeah. energy uh and then start where but yeah. then when it comes to scene work it's like yeah listening looking at the other person what are they doing and if you take your cues from them character and story will kind of fall into place yeah yeah nice nailed it uh, uh great i think sarah uh here's a question do you ever feel like you're on autopilot oh yeah i saw that question too from jenna from our good friend Jenna from Red Deer. Hi, Jenna. Do you ever feel like you're on autopilot? Now, in life, like, yeah, man. No, um, I, I assume this is relating. <laughs> I assume this is relating to improv. So, uh, uh, yes, definitely. And I think, but I don't think it has a, as much of a negative connotation as it sounds like it does when you think, because mm-hmm. in life, if someone's on autopilot, then they aren't thinking they aren't being pre- they, they're not present they're just sort of going through the day thinking about other things but when i'm improvising i feel like i'm on an autopilot because i'm just i'm just like reacting and my impulses have just taken over and i'm just like going uh so i don't know if mm-hmm. i would ca- i don't know would that be would you call that autopilot like where uh yeah i mean there's it's it's kind of uh surrendering to your instinct like the, you you being in the moment is is this kind of zen state really yeah, of, so it's like... of, of uh, where you're not making the conscious decisions but uh, uh, but somehow the reactions are happening that that keep you there you know and you're making all the decisions that are there i get where you where you are but i think <laughs> it's not like autopilot we think of in regular life where you, the reason you're on autopilot is because you're thinking about other stuff it's that the reason i'm on autopilot yeah. is because i'm thinking about nothing but what's happening and i'm just just yeah. so maybe i maybe know if you mean that kind of autopilot i'm more in a flow i'm in a yeah. flow state all the time but i i would call that autopilot yeah. i don't know i'm not i'm not conscious yeah. of it I think I think there's a difference between autopilot and flow state. I think there's there's uh, even just saying them like that. It's there's autopilot is it does have that negative kind of connotation to it, and flow state is I'm surrendering to this right now. I'm in, uh, and I'm I'm just going with it. You know, everything flows down like it slows down like you're the flash, and and so you kind of see the ideas, and you're like, oh, okay, cool. I'm here. I'm present. Yeah, uh, and and sure. so when once I get into flow state, it's that it's it, people think see me making decisions really quickly, but I feel like I've got some time when when I'm doing it because I see I see it a little bit slower. And I think that kind of flow state is is more of a a, a thing. Autopilot, I think, is um, and I've seen improvisers do this. Like I'm playing theater sports. This is the type of game I'm doing right now. Um, these are the things that work in that game. So I'm just going to try to hit those buttons, uh, and, and go for it, you know, so navigate my way from point A to point B, hitting all the things that I know work, um, and, and doing that routine mm-hmm. or that, uh, that rhythm. So you're not necessarily improvising as such, but you're improvising your way to tick those boxes 
or have that the the result that you're after. I think that's what autopilot means for sure, me. Sure, yeah. And I think now that you've sort of talked it through like that more, I've experienced autopilot a lot when I used to host the Canadian Improv Games, the the uh, high school mm-hmm. improv tournament, <clears throat> and when I would referee. We had I would be like in a ref jersey with a clipboard, and it would be like yeah. introducing the games, and like the spiel would just come out of my mouth, replace variable with new team's name, and just like just boom, yep. boom, 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 boom. And so I think then I would say that was definitely an autopilot feeling. But when I'm actually improvising, I don't think so. Maybe in some like corporate yeah. shows, but I think those are such high stress environments that it's not. I'm thinking about it a lot. I'm like, frowning. I'm, I'm yeah, focused yeah. on it a lot. I'm not, I'm not just on autopilot. Yeah. Like, hey, how's it going? Uh, yeah. Same yeah. with like any corporate presentations. It's like, no, 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 I'm not on autopilot. I'm totally focused. <laughs> yeah. And the whole, the whole time we've been talking about autopilot, all I can think of is the smiling inflatable autopilot from airplane. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> um, nice. Well, on that note, I have a serious question for you. <laughs> I have a serious one for you here. Uh, This is from uh, Aaron Macklem. Uh, How do you recover when you've clearly just laid down the most awesome offer and your improv teammate (laughs) totally ignores it? So here it is, Jason. You are. I'm going to set the stage for this question for you. You are on okay. stage, and you just you like this is it, and the perfect offer comes out of your mouth, and the audience is like, oh, "That's this is going to be so amazing." But your teammate just like ignored it, didn't even see it, or didn't even take it, didn't pick it up, and just went in a totally different direction. Yeah. Uh, how do you recover from that? <laughs> Uh, in the I, I lay down on the ground in the fetal in the fetal position <laughs> and kick my feet on the ground, slam my fist, say, "What the fuck, man?" Uh, no, <laughs> I don't know. It's like it's hard because it's gonna get a uh, uh, it's gonna get a reaction. I guess if my if my improv partner didn't react to it, my first thing it would be like because I, I like. I like improvising with a little bit of mischief and a little bit of play between the things, not necessarily so we call it out for the audience, but my first reaction would probably be, oh, what are you getting at? Like, where is this going? <laughs> you know, like, how is this an offer here? And um, and if it turned out that they just missed it or something like that, uh, then I'd repeat the <laughs> offer maybe, you know, or, or tr- try to make it land and – and, um, but that goes with any kind of missed offer, really. Um, if the person seems uh, like they're doing it on purpose and missing it deliberately, then I know that there's something afoot and and it's going to pay off at some point, I'm hoping. Uh, but if they've just missed it outright, then, uh, you know, either repeat the offer or the moment's gone, move on and find something new. Yeah, yeah I think I think as funny as it is to imagine the most awesome offer you could lay down and have your partner <laughs> ignore. I think the real question is, what do you do when someone ignores an offer that is made? Uh, and the real answer yeah. to that, I think, is there's there's not much you can do. Like, you can try and make it again. Yeah. You can make it again or call them out on it, right? But, but those that might not work or else it's or maybe makes it even a worse relationship on stage but i think the the real thing Mm -hmm. is when an offer is missed it's like well part of accepting part of saying yes and and part of like accepting offers and making and and like building together is that sometimes you gotta let go you gotta let go you made this awesome offer it's just like when you have a really great idea in your head but then it's too late you just gotta let it go you gotta let yeah. it go because if you hold on yeah. to it, it's just gonna break things. And so, like, the more you hold on to this awesome offer, like you missed it, the the more the scene kind of yeah. stops for a second. 
before it gets started again, and it's already hit. Yeah. It's because I'm not listening as well, because I mean my brain going, that was fucking <laughs> exactly. awesome. The audience yeah. really yeah. loved it. And and the other person's already moved on, and, and I've stopped oh, listening yeah. already because I'm like, come on, where's my validation on, here? Man. <laughs> I said French waiter. Come on, that's so brilliant. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, whatever your awesome offer is. French waiter. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think it's true. If you try and do anything to to recover, like the best recovery is to just let go and move on. Um, I think I think yeah. that's the best recovery. Not not draw attention to it. Not not make a big deal. Of it. Yeah. And let me yeah, tell you, this uh, happens to me all the time. Because <laughs> my offers every are show. just like bam bam. I just- <laughs> <laughs> just smoking guns yeah. everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, cool. That's a great one. Great question. Thanks, Aaron, for that great question. Yeah. Uh, then uh, that that kind of comes down to another one, which uh, which I've seen. I just looked up and saw from Steve. Steve T saying, "What happens if I'm not funny?" Well, then you got to find a new line of work. No. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, go into stand up. Yeah. <laughs> you're not become a magician. Okay. Um, if you're not funny, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on on what you're what what you're trying to do. Like, if you were trying to be funny mm-hmm. and you weren't funny, then there's a problem there. But if you were trying yeah. to tell a story and you're not funny, then no big deal. You're telling a story. You're not, you're not trying to be funny. Uh, if but if, yeah. but I assume it's if you're trying to be funny and you're not funny, uh, then you, uh, I don't know, I don't know how many outs there really are uh, to that, except yeah. for. I mean, like, just continue. I mean, we've all done it. We've all said something that in our brain is genius, and then it comes out of our mouth like a brick and flomps down onto the stage, <laughs> and there's a just a beat where nothing happens, and you're like. Okay. Yeah. Let's just move on as quick as you can. First advice: just move on. Get on to the next thing, then. Uh, But if you are trying to be really funny and it doesn't land, and you have to be funny and it's not being funny, uh, you can try the old fallbacks of like commenting on how unfunny that joke was, and that sometimes makes it funny. Yeah. Uh, You can say it again as if it's funnier. (laughs) <laughs> and do the David Letterman rule of 11, like just keep saying it, keep making the joke yeah. until it's funny. Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. Uh, or, I mean, you can try and use some some improv skills to like take what you said and twist it and reuse it into a funnier way uh, and, and do that. But I think, yeah. I think really like if your goal is to be funny, uh, you're going to sometimes fail at that and just not be funny. And that's, that's it. Uh, but yeah. And if you're not a funny person, like uh, all sorts find their way to improv, you know, from from various different uh, things. Some people are naturally gifted performers. Other people have come to improv because they want to find a a way of expressing themselves uh, or challenging themselves in terms of, you know, public speaking or getting up on stage. And they may not consider themselves really funny people and they may be surrounded by people who are, are more kind of naturally funny or a little more kind of overt and things like that. And so sometimes I think those people can get uh, really uh, nervous around the funny people, air quotes. Um, and so, uh, you know, if, if you think you're not funny, uh, start playing the scenes. There'll be moments where the levity comes. There'll be moments where the characters and your wit will start to shine through. It just may not be funny like you see it. Um, and that's where I think everyone's gift, everyone's funny 
is related to themselves and their own perspective. So if you can empower the people you're working with or people in your troop to be honest and true to their funny, uh, generally providing it's not, you know, in, you know, falling into, you know, racist or, or awful kind of areas, then, um, then generally you're going to get a laugh. And also, uh, you can also point out to people like that, uh, people who don't think they're funny or have a more kind of gentle, funny side to them that oftentimes, Really funny people need a straighter person to play off and to bounce off of, uh, and there's real empowerment in that duo kind of sense as well. That that um, there's there's the straight person, funny person dynamic that they can lean into as well, and and oftentimes it's the person setting them up that allows that other person to be as overtly funny as they can because the reaction. Um, is there of of the of the straight person who is essentially what the audience empathise with? So if the audience can easily empathise mm-hmm. with you in that comedic com uh, you know combination, and you are suffering at the hands of the comedian on stage in the character relationship, then that's a typical you know funny person straight person kind of thing where all you've got to do is put your head in your hands in reaction to the person being overtly funny and you garner a laugh because the people are identifying with the way that you you know react to that person so try to discover your own funny for one i reckon what what your sense of humor is try to give it space to breathe on the stage uh and know that you don't have to be super funny all the time when you're improvising it takes um a straight person to really pay off a funny person if you've got four ex- you know people trying to out funny each other on the stage all the time you you know it's tiresome it's really hard to watch yeah um so you need that dynamic there yeah and um there's something else i, I mean we could talk about funny for a long time i think um but the thing yeah. I, I think uh two things i think one there's uh like you're saying there's lots of kinds of funny and there's lots of different laughs you get from the audience. And I think uh, like yep. the laugh of laugh out loud surprise or laugh of recognition, like, oh, that's just like a sweetheart. Like there's lots of different laughs. And I think the difference between funny and laugh is is something to keep in mind. That funny with like yes. a certain kind of irony to it, like uh, that you aren't expecting, like that kind of co- comedy yeah. twist or, or something that, that we would refer to as that thing is funny, uh, isn't the only kind of laugh you get in an improv show. And a lot of the laughs mm-hmm. you get in improv shows are more just joyful recognition of the fact that yes. it's being made up. Like, because it has like a built in irony to it in the first place that we're acting as though we are making this up, but we're not, ma- or we're acting as though this is not made up, but we are just making it up. And that kind of built in irony and the dramatic irony of the audience watching the improvisers try to improvise is where a lot of the comedy comes from uh, and a lot of the funny and a lot of the laughing comes from so the thing you say doesn't have to be funny the fact that you're doing mm. a thing in this situation and you are you and they're watching it is already making it funny in that joyful way right so there's already this like laughing joyfulness to it did that make sense i kind of got a little yeah. lost in the weeds there yeah, no, I think I think it did. I think it did. And so, yeah, I, and I think a lot of it comes down to people judging themselves against other people. Yeah. And that's something that improvisers do a lot 
regardless of whether it's about being funny or talented or can I sing or can they do this or and so you you often look at other improvisers and you either aspire to to be like them or uh, 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 envious or uh, uh, not necessarily envious all the time but yeah. you, you know um, you you want to uh, be like that person um, or you uh, you think oh geez wouldn't it be great to to be able to do that with such ease um, and then you uh, and you can apply like anything else you can apply the skills to to try to get there and train up to it and hopefully work with those people as well um uh, in in learning uh your craft but if you're sitting there going well everyone's funnier than me you're not giving yourself permission to break those boundaries that you're putting around yourself so i think it's good to acknowledge that people have different skills than you but don't use that to then put yourself yeah. down, um, and I've seen that happen a lot in early uh, early improvisers. People who are just starting out um, kind of hit this level where they realise they're not uh, as skilled in certain areas as other people. But then those other people aren't skilled in certain areas that they are skilled mm-hmm. in, and they only see the negative rather than the the balance that is there. So so try to keep the blinkers off yourself because I think. Being funny is something that we call out as a as a great thing in improv, but it's not the be all end of certainly, and it shouldn't certainly um, stifle your stifle your uh, progress as you move forward. Perfect. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Oh, well, that was a funny question. See what I did there? <laughs> that that was called yeah. that was called a joke. Um, all right. Here's one. Speaking of funny. Uh, and, uh, I think it's, I mean, I think we, this might be a really quick answer for both of us. How do you handle another improviser corpsing? Uh, well, on stage, I try to ignore it. Uh, sometimes it might make me laugh. And if, if I do that, I try to get back to it as soon as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if it happens constantly throughout the show, I, I'm going to talk to them after the show and go, can we try to stay in the characters a little yeah. bit more? It's not something that I enjoy happening a lot on stage because it breaks i want to i want to try to be responding from a character point of view um so and it kind of breaks that kind of highlights that reality the absurdity that you were talking about um Mm -hmm. in the last question which uh corpsing is hard because it get it often gets a laugh from the audience it often gets an easy kind of uh an easy kind of laugh so it's uh, uh an easy reward but i've seen people um, kind of use it as a crutch sometimes when they feel like their audience aren't necessarily on board just yet um, or they're trying to kind of win them over, hit them over the head a little bit. They might use it as a as a tool, as a choice, rather than genuinely be funny. The thing that happens, I think, when it happens genuinely is that it's such a surprising moment for both the audience and the improvisers on stage that you it's okay to share in that delight in that moment. Um, and if it makes you both giggle a little bit, the audience are probably giggling at the same time, or at least you're hoping they are. If it's just the two of you or four of you giggling and the audience is sitting in silence, it's not a moment that you should be corpsing. Um, but if it's a beautiful, surprising moment where everyone has just, including the improvisers, get surprised and delighted about it, a little smile, a little giggle is fine, as long as we get back to it as soon as we possibly yeah. can. We don't indulge like I think it. if another improviser corpses on stage at me, 
depending on the improviser, but most of the time I'll probably corpse with them because <laughs> it, yeah. it at least brings, it makes it a shared experience now for everybody. Um, yeah. But again, like you're saying, if they're corpsing all the time, then it's like, come on, man, are you sure that you should, you want to do this <laughs> with your life? Like just laugh yeah. on stage. Um, uh, but, and then there's also like, if they're corpsing as like a move, like this is my move to get a laugh here because I yeah. it's, it's just I do it all the time. It's like my move. Like it's I mean, it's a move that you see improvisers do so, and consciously too. Like we'll do it. I'll, I'll, I've done it consciously yes. where I go like, okay, this is how the hell am I going to get out of this? I'm just going to smile for a second and the audience is going to laugh and then we'll get through it. Too. Like I, yeah. I've done it as a move before, but I think um, I think, uh, yeah, so corpsing with them is one big thing or not corpsing with them. <laughs> <laughs> and holding a straight yeah. face while they corpse and just wait for them to finish, uh, which helps make mm-hmm. it just as fun for the audience to share. In. But I do think that, yeah. I, that that your comment of it's okay once in a while is important for people to know. Like, it's not always a bad thing for you to, um, what's the, the image is the, the image of like someone peeking out from behind a mask a little bit and you see the person behind yeah. the mask. That, that little moment of corpsing to let the audience in to see that you're there too and you also think this is funny. I don't think that's always a bad thing. Uh, especially if you're doing something that's like a darker, more serious show and something goes and something yeah. fucks up, someone trips and falls on stage and we all kind of stop for a second and go, uh, are you okay? okay. And then get back into it. It's like, that's great. Right. Yeah. Those are, those are fine. Uh, like one time I remember this one moment, the worst corpse I ever had, I was playing two characters and I had to leave and then come back on as the other character. And I put on a jacket when I was off stage to play the other character, but I put the jacket on inside out and I didn't know this, <laughs> but the audience knew this. And so did the other performers. And so we do this scene. It's this really like heartfelt scene, like a father son scene or whatever. And then at the end of the scene, I go to put my hands in my pockets of the jacket and there's no pockets because it's inside out. <laughs> And then the audience just roars, and then the person I'm on stage with just loses it. Like, just, it's like not even in character laughing, like, just, just stopped trying to do the scene and just had a laugh. And then so did I, because I was like that. Because everyone knew for the whole scene, the serious scene yeah. that my jacket was on, except for me. And that moment of the pans in the pockets just miss, just broke, broke that uh. tension that was building. And it was like a really great that tension release you know that 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 tension release of comedy (laughs) and like uh corpsing is sometimes that release to all of the tension that's been building up and that's okay i don't think it's always bad i yeah i don't think it's always bad as well i think if you particularly as i said what we do is a surprising art form we're going to be surprised and delighted every once in a while but if what you don't want to make it is self-indulgent. You know, mm. you can you can be a part of it and you can you can live it and and still enjoy it, but you don't want to then make it the next five minutes of the show. You know, you want it you want it to to switch back into whatever you're doing um, beforehand. But you know, we're going to find ourselves in positions that are ridiculous or narratives that are uh, things or, or happy accidents like you know inside out jackets and things like that. <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> But you know, and and they make for great stories, and and they um and it's yeah, there's go it, it, enjoy it, like enjoy yourself, but don't indulge it, that's, and don't use it as a as a tool. That's a great really, great distinction you know? of, of enjoy yourself, but don't indulge. Yeah. yeah, don't make it about you. It's about the fact that you couldn't yeah. hold it together. That's fine. It's not yeah. about how funny it is when I laugh. 
Okay, we're not yeah. all uh, Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, do you got another one, or I got one here if you don't have one? Uh, okay, you go. Try you go. this one, because uh, I think it's uh, get, get us off of laughing and comedy. Uh, what is the most important skill that most improvisers struggle to do well? That's from Anna. The most important skill slash skills hmm, that most improvisers struggle yeah, a, to do it's well. A, it's a, it's a, it's it's hard to say about most because I think, like yeah. my, my first instinct with this question is. It depends. Some of it depends on the skill level of the improviser in question. So it's not applying to all the improvisers. Mm-hmm. It's just beginners or, or more advanced improvisers or older, uh, you know, crusty improvisers. Uh, no offense to us. And uh, <laughs> but then also there's regional things that I find where there's like yeah. certain regions where they 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 are very focused on one particular thing uh, that that they struggle with or that they're they're not not focusing on right you know so it's an interesting question yeah. so how, how would you answer where would you start what's what's one way of answering this question um i i, I yeah i i think a, a prevalent one that i see across all the the things is actually stagecraft mm. um it, it's it's people again people come to improv from many different walks of life not uh, all of them have been to theater school um or or um or anything like that. So the 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 um, performance that they get to do out of you know their first improv performance or or whatever, they don't really know how to be on a stage. They don't know how to project their voice. They don't know how to face front and not block the audience. And so I think that's something that I see in common across lots of different schools and lots of different improvisers is just a little bit of you know common sense and stagecraft mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Because it's hard to make a call, as you say, on the other stuff because there's so many different styles, focuses, um, schools, schools of thought, um, you know, formats, all of that sort of stuff that it's it's really hard to to do it. But a consistent one that I'd say is stagecraft, you know. Um, uh, I, I think that most theatre schools, most improv schools should – do some stagecraft lessons, you know, do some voice lessons as a part of their 101. This is how you stand on stage. This is how you don't block people. This is where, you, you know, you've got one foot pointed at the audience, one put, foot pointed at the other improviser. Let's let's learn how to stand. Let's learn how to speak. Yeah, I think um, that's an in- so, interesting yeah, I, one too, the, the stagecraft idea. Like, I totally agree. I think that's something most improvisers could work on. Uh but I, I think it's interesting because in an in a improv school with people that have never been on stage before, the stagecraft you are teaching, it's like you kind of just got to get them on stage ready so they can improvise. So you're, so a yeah. lot of the coaching you'll get is like stand downstage center. Don't hide in the back because mm. right? they always want to walk upstage to the back. And like, no, 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 come downstage and yep. just start right in the center. And so improv, improvisers come out of the wings. They go right downstage center and then they stand there and talk. Uh, and they're at least yep. facing the audience and speaking loud enough that you can hear them. And as an improv teacher, you'd be like, great. Okay, good. I can hear you. And you're downstage. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's not really stagecraft. That's like, that's like, no, that's like being audible. Uh, because there's so much more to staging that you can use. And, and one thing I, I would say to add on to that is just using the whole stage for what it can be. Like, yes, and standing on doing a scene from opposing corners of the theater. Like you could do that kind of stuff. And, and it's so rarely do we see it because my answer to this question, uh, and I think this is mostly something I see in, in, uh, I don't know if I want to, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. 
mostly what I see in like bigger cities. <laughs> no offense to big cities, yeah. but where there's a large, vibrant improv community and lots of improvisers mm-hmm. trying to get on stage and trying to get stage time, you end up with lots of shows happening in very small stages so you're in yeah. uh, you're in bars you're in coffee shops on like a little stage in the corner uh or or yeah it's like two meters by two meters or yeah. you know things and so, like that like yeah. an open mic stage and so all you can yeah. do is stand there next to each other and talk so you don't get a chance to yeah. work out those stage muscles but then the other thing is because it's so close and so small uh there's no very little tasking so like object work like no no one is like miming mm-hmm. objects and creating space and showing me an environment yeah uh they just say like well here we are at the zoo and then they just start talking and cracking wise as two very funny characters uh which is fine yeah but it it and, and i think it's a limitation of the size of a stage you play on kind of forces you into this style that removes a lot mm-hmm. of uh of physical uh, offers and, and object work stuff, which I think ties into what you're saying about stagecraft a little. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just uh, this is one that will speak to the last two questions that oh. we had. Uh, I would be interested to hear what your thoughts are on the new Middle Ditch and Schwartz long form mm-hmm. improv specials on Netflix. Uh, I've watched them. You haven't. Yeah, I haven't watched them yet. Yeah. yeah someone asked me about this Middle Ditch and Schwartz thing. Because uh, and as specifically in response to our sixth episode of the conversation series, where we talked about mm-hmm. um, the future of improv and about improv yep. being uh, not good on video or, or something we don't like necessarily as much on video, and now uh, and like almost like the day after that thing was released, <laughs> the, <laughs> hits the internet. Drop. The most successful improv show since whose line is it anyway? It's the it's it's the screen. <laughs> Uh, and now there's something we can say, you know, no, you know, I don't do improv like whose line I do it like middle ditch and Schwartz. Uh, and it's in its yeah, long yeah. form. And so that's really exciting. And it's great that it's done so well. I've been getting messages from friends of mine that are like, whoa, have you seen it? It's the best long form I've ever seen. Um, that was me impersonating my friends, not the person asking the question. Right. Um, yeah, but I haven't actually watched <laughs> it. So you have watched it. What what are your I thoughts on it. it? I mean, let's we don't look. My let's thoughts, not, let's my not thoughts be like the, you know, we're not going to criticize the show or anything or give them notes, but just like no, look, overall, I'm I'm super happy that it's on uh, on Netflix. I'm super happy that people are enjoying long form improv. I'm I'm super. Uh, I hope it leads to more and more uh, improv being on on uh, like as a as a stream of things um, for for you know streaming services and other services looking for different improv. I think it's a great step forward. Uh, I like these two performers. I've liked them for a while. I, I listen to Comedy Bang Bang podcast, and they are often on it together, and they they work well together. They have a really nice dynamic. They've been performing together for a long time. They do great characters on on Comedy Bang Bang. So I was super keen to see. I was very excited when it dropped. I was like, "That's great." Uh, uh, there's three of them. I watched two of them thus far. Uh, not out of protest. It's just all I've had time to get around to watching. Uh, ironically, in this time where all we have on our hands is time. I've streamed a lot less than I normally do. Um, 
And so, uh, look, the first one and the second one are very different, which is great. The first one's a, a story where they jump locations and stuff like that. The second one is a single location story. So they have a very long ask for process uh, where they interview someone in the audience about uh, an event in their life. Um, so they have the clever hoops of remembering all the stuff from the start of the show that they can reincorporate throughout okay. the show. They play multiple characters, which I think cool. is fun. I think their stagecraft is a little mm-hmm. messy because uh, they have a big stage, but they also have cameras to worry about and or angles and stuff like that. But I think they shot the hell out of it. I think they said they had like a dozen cameras all over mm-hmm. the place for it. Um, they do the thing where they often break character uh, to talk to each other, which isn't my cup of tea, but uh, it works for the audience. It works for them. Their dynamic is charming and, and lovely together. Um, so I think that they're um, – oh, we got some fire engines going in the background. Uh, <laughs> and so I think uh, I think it's good. Like, it's fine. Mm. And, uh, and, and, you know, I think anyone – could record any show and pick holes in it, yeah. you know. But uh, I, I think it's a positive. It's a positive that it's there. I think they're they're charming. I think they play together well. Um, there's stuff I'd change if I was directing the improv, but I'm not directing yeah. the improv. Um, so I'm super happy to sit and enjoy it. So uh, two of the three I've enjoyed. There's some nice laughs in there. Um, there's some times when I, I'm kind of sitting there going, come on, come on, come on. Uh, but, you know, that's just, I guess, yeah. as, as an improviser watching improv, you're always going to have those moments. But I'm not here to tear it down. I'm happy it's there. I'm happy that uh, they got it. They work really well together. Here's hoping it leads to more and more and more improv on those kind of services. Uh, great. That sounds great. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm going to echo yeah. everything you said about how positive this is for the improv world. And the fact that it's a yeah. good show is great. Um, but I think uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to in, interrogate you a little bit about yeah. – um, because I, uh, this was specifically asked in, in relation to our future of improv thing about improv not being the same on video versus uh, seeing it live. Uh, and Middle Distance mm-hmm. Schwartz has been doing really well. So um, now do you think that's a, a product of improv being good on video or these particular episodes happen to be funny regardless of whether they're improvised and so they're fun to watch? Like was it like watching a stand-up comedy special where you're laughing at stuff, yeah. or, or did it feel think- like you were in the like watch when you're watching an improv show and you're experiencing them discovering the the moments? It felt like I was watching a stand-up special, and and the reason for that is they have you know thousands of people in the audience, mm-hmm. or a, you know a good chunk of audience there. So there's it, other improv that you've seen, you or like whose line or whatever they have the audience crammed in there, so you get that real kind of live audience stuff. Uh, as opposed to improv I've seen filmed, you know, at a smaller theatre with 50 or 60 people where that magic kind of happens between the performers and the and the audience and, and, and things like that. I imagine that uh, I, I'd gamble that everyone in the room on the nights those were recorded would watch it back and say it felt better then. Yeah. Um, when I when I was there, but it feels more like a stand up special, which the Netflix audience are attuned to because so much stand up is on Netflix. It's got the same gigantic stage, same curtain kind of lighting, all that sort of stuff. Big audience, so I think they've been really clever in the way that they've set the audience's expectations at home a little bit in a comfortable zone, uh, and they're kind of balancing that 
that act of this is us and this is us improvising and this is the improvisation. Um, so I think they, uh, I think they do well to, to, they've done well to do it. I don't know that you could film the same sort of thing with 50 people in the audience and still get the same kind of result as, you know, a thousand people tumbling, uh, with laughter, um, or even just, 30% of that audience having a joke land as as you go, you know, you still get a nice good laugh for it. Um, so I think they've mixed it really well, um, the the way that they've done it. They've they've played to the audience's expectation of what comedy is yeah. um, and, and, and then also gone, well, we're just making this up uh, as we yeah. go. Um, but uh, they haven't done anything to trigger the audience coming in going – Oh, what this is a bit weird and a bit odd. What's going on? Um, they've done that very well. Put the audience, position the audience really well mm-hmm. at home um, to do it. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah. No, that sounds good <laughs> to me. Yeah, because it does. It does come across to me watching the like the quick trailer that Netflix auto played uh, mm-hmm. um, at me about uh, about the thing. It did just look like any other uh, comedy special that would be on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, and so you go into it looking for the comedy aspect of it and whether it's improvised or not, didn't doesn't really make a difference uh, in yes. that context, I think, uh, because again, like I think, and I, I will, I will stand by, even though I haven't seen it yet. I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> I don't know if I'll watch it. I don't know. Comedy. I'm fine. I don't need, I got enough comedy <laughs> in my life, but, uh, but um, I'll stand by what I said that um, to me, there's this thing of like, if, if the, if the when you're watching it, you have no effect on the show. It it uh, it loses some of the magic of improv. It just it's just, you're yeah. just watching a show. Yeah. Now you can pause. You can go to the bathroom anytime you want. Like you aren't you don't have to connect to it in that way. And the audience, uh, the improvisers aren't connecting with you in that way. So it's just like it can be funny, but uh, and entertaining. But is it that same? Uh, is it does it still capture the essence of what improvisation is? And that's. I guess I'd say, you know, at least 90% of the worldwide audience that will watch that show, um, oh no, probably, probably maybe 70%, uh, w- probably would have never been to an improv show, yeah. you know, and wouldn't know what that feels like mm-hmm. in the flesh. Uh, uh, you know, because a lot of our community, of course, are like, oh, improv on Netflix, and we've gone straight to it, and people have uh, praised it, people have picked holes in it um, all they want on my socials. I've seen people go at it hard. <laughs> oh, really? I've seen oh. people defend it hard yeah. uh, and uh, and all of that sort of stuff. And that, I mean, that's one of those things with a community like ours, I guess with anything, you know, you, if you put something up, it's going to be judged and people are going to take pot shots or, or they're going to, um, you know, review it from their own point of view, which is fine. But the audience don't know that. The audience sitting at home streaming this stuff uh, interested in, you know, seeing Jean Raffio from um, Parks and Recreation do some funny stuff, uh-huh. you know, uh, whether it's improvised or not is is a, a, a different thing. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd suggest the larger Netflix audience have ne- don't know the difference between mm-hmm. feeling that yeah. live buzz of improv and watching it. On the thing. That also gets back to the thing you said earlier about how it's just a positive overall, hundred percent. It's a great thing, and yeah, I, hope, yeah. I hope there's more. I, I think hope this so. leads to like Netflix investing in a whole bunch of different improv shows, and realizing like, hey, yeah. you know what? Yeah. We could make a show a day if we just employed some improvisers. What the hell are we doing yeah. with all these billions of dollars we're throwing away? Yeah, 
Uh, yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, there's been a lot of criticism, you know, two white male guys yeah. doing uh, improv together, all that kind of stuff. And and those are all justified, but if it's a means to an end, uh, you know, as in terms of, of, of breaking open a market a little bit more, then go for yeah, it, great. I'd say. Yeah. I'd rather have it than not. <sighs> Perfect. Cool. All right. Uh, hey, how are we doing here? We're like halfway through this episode, maybe even more now. Oh, boy. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh, well, let's see if we can get off yeah. a couple more oh, of these ones here. Uh, yeah, yeah like we're about at about 45 40 minutes. 40-something minutes. Uh, let's, uh, let's get through. There's a couple here that I want to hit. I want to hit a couple of these. Yeah. Um, which is uh, here. So there's, uh, um, there's so much to improv, and I see people with 20 years of experience still working at it. What are you working on? Um. We talked about this a little bit through scattered throughout all the the episodes. Is uh, but the, the bottom line for me that it comes down to is I'm constantly trying to push myself outside my comfort zone. So I want to try to uh, if it's you know singing or, uh, or or other things that I'm not feeling you know particularly fantastic about, uh, then I'm going to try to to work on that kind of stuff um uh so i think it's really easy for people of 20 plus years to kind of plateau to kind of go i'm good at this i'm gonna stay good at this um and uh so i've tried to learn from that and try to push myself towards uh doing the type of improv that that still makes me nervous or scares me a little bit um and so i think yeah i i just want to work on the thing that that pushes me outside my comfort zone a little bit because after I do do that my comfort zone is going to expand and it's going to encompass that mm. for for a bit but and so then I reevaluate and go what else is is doing it? and there are times where I'll go a year without doing that and I, and and I'll get into that kind of plateau right and then I'm like okay all right you you've kind of plateaued a bit here let's find something that feels challenging and and start doing it and as we mentioned in the um uh, and you've done a heap of this, but I haven't. Uh, is I've started mm. doing some solo improv recently uh, because it, it excites me. The idea of it, it, it is challenging to me just because I haven't done a lot of it before. Um, and so I just want to find things that are exciting to me and challenging to me and, and keep pushing out into those those directions. Yeah, that's, uh, that's I think, the best answer. That's that's the answer. It's, it's whatever it is that pushes us out of our comfort zone. So it changes all the time Yeah, uh, is, is one part of it. Like um, I used to chase yeah. that rush of feeling nervous before a show just so I knew I was doing something outside of my comfort zone. Like I'm not nervous yep. enough. Let's do this by myself or let's do a slam poetry show or let's like just chasing those things of like, oh, I don't know how to do this. Uh, to push myself. Yeah. Um, but in that answer I just gave there, I hinted at something else too, which I think is other aspects of, of uh, creativity that aren't improv focused. I think yes. there's a huge place where everyone could be working on. And there's nothing I've ever learned from another creative practice that hasn't applied to improv. Like I, I took yep. a dance class a couple of years ago. I did a contemporary dance class and it was awesome. And I might do it again if, if we ever get back to normal um but just the idea of how to move your body and the quality of movement and stuff like that was such a great aspect of uh that that ties into improv so well or doing uh doing magic spoken word poetry these different little things that i've dabbled in uh all of those have taught me so much that i have brought into my improv and so i think it's that 
that reaching out constantly for new inspiration and new sources of inspiration. Uh, and tied into that is the process of self-evaluation as well. Like when you are feeling a bit comfortable or when, when you could use something that isn't improv to mm-hmm. start fueling that fire exactly, again. Because yeah. sometimes people try to dig deeper into improv when they need a little break. They need to go and dance or they need to go and, and, and write or do something like that. You know, the solution sometimes isn't inside this craft. It is inside another mm. artistic endeavor. Yeah. And uh, I mean, specifically to improv too, there are things I'm always working on as well with, with Paper Street and with the company. Yeah. And, uh, and one of those has still been the whole company itself is a whole work in progress of trying to move um, what I want improv to to seem like and look like to our audiences in in the direction towards more theatrical stuff. So I'm still working on that and trying to find different ways to explain that to people and teach that to people through different types of shows or, or different kind of like cross promotional things and like different, like, uh, yeah, like this, this next season we might work with some, some, uh, script writers and get them to write 10 pages of a script that we nice. like perform and then improvise the rest of the play kind of thing. Like just things like that, trying to find different ways to get the I audience. I like that. That's great. Yeah. I, I can't remember. There's a name for this type of format too, that other people have done the half yeah. scripted or something like that. But um, just using that idea of like partnering with local playwrights to kind of push us into different ways of, exp- of doing theater and doing improvised plays, but also teaching the audience what that is and bringing them along with us and bringing my students along with us. And so like just finding new ways to do that. I'm always, I'm always working on and always looking for suggestions. So if you have one, send it to me, please. (laughs) Yeah. I once did a a format that uh, was, it's called word play or word slash play. And uh, it it was basically a Harold S kind of thing or Armando S, but instead of getting a, um, Instead of getting a a, a, a narrator or a, um, a an orator for the for the those sections, I got a local poet or a local mm. um, author uh, in, and they would read sections from their work. So I would just say, please bring some poems or bring sections from your work up to five minutes, and you just read the section. And we then improvise off that, not necessarily continuing the narrative if, if it was uh, fiction or anything like that, but but uh, like an Armando or anything, you you pull apart the offers and, and take it off into different directions. But that was really, really fun working with other creative people to spark our work uh, on the stage. It was really yeah, amazing. That's great. Um, and because... People, uh, you know, we had playwrights of uh, and um, and authors of uh, all different ethnicities, um, uh, all different, you know, life experience, and uh, they bring then they bring the work that they're passionate about into the stage, and um, and it, you've really got to lift your game to to do it justice. You know, you don't want to have someone come in and, and read their stuff and then you do a bunch of mediocre scenes about it. You know, it really it really fueled our fire. It was great. That's great. Uh, I should say, too, that uh, this same question, a similar question was asked by our number one fan, self-proclaimed number one fan, uh, Tony Adams. He asked, now that you're yes. more experienced improvisers, what do you do to keep pushing yourselves? What areas do you feel you mm-hmm. need to push yourselves? And we've, I think we kind of covered that. But, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, I just wanted to give a shout out to Tony Adams, our number one fan. Hey, Tony. Number one fan, the good TA. Uh, all right, uh, so I've got one here. Uh, what do you talk about after a show? Hmm. Is there an improv equivalent to shop talk? Oh, yeah, it's a good, uh, it's a good uh, shop talk. Yeah, I, I know what that means. Yeah, people in shops uh, talk. So, about it. 
Uh, I guess, uh, I mean, there's, there's, after a show, there's, I like to have a debrief for the show. Um, so whether it's, uh, notes from the director or, uh, just the cast getting together, there's the immediate debrief, uh, that, that happens. So, uh, you know, you might go, you might just hear from a director or you might go around your cast and everyone will say, I felt like I had a good night tonight. I felt like I flubbed this or, or, or that kind of check in, um, afterwards, or you might do notes and, uh, and uh, have a short conversation about that. But I think that's very important after shows, uh, that there is some semblance of a, a of a debrief. That way, and I think we mentioned it last episode, you're not carrying the show home with you. You're not trying to, you know, you're not living with it for a week going, oh, I made that mistake. And uh, you've at least debriefed it with yourself, your director, the rest of the cast, and you're focusing on the future rather than um, than afterwards. And I think... After that, then, you know, sometimes there's, you know, foyer talk or, or, or you know, the group will go out for a, a drink at a bar or, or something like that. And oftentimes that's where we get to share those corpsing stories or that <laughs> time tonight where I almost said this, but I didn't. But imagine if I, I did. I can't believe when you came out as that troll. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that, that, yeah exactly. Yeah. And I think that's a really important part because – uh, I think that once improvisers realise that the idea that they didn't get out on the stage can still have life afterwards, in the foyer afterwards, or or uh, uh, as part of these kind of conversations, in that, oh, I should have, could have, would have at this point, but I didn't for the sake of the story. Um, so you still get you still get those kind of jokes or those ideas often paid off with the people who you are enjoying playing with anyway. So, um, so yeah, I like that as the shop talk is kind of the, ah, oh, you know, it's, it's the, it's the fork that you didn't take. And, uh, and then you could talk about what maybe could have happened or, or what the joke was and at least get the laugh for it there. But it's all, you know, it, it, it's those choices that you didn't make in the show for the sake of the show is a nice thing. And then I reckon the other shop talk is just like, like we are doing here. It's like, what's your opinion on this? Uh, you know, and I think you can learn a lot from talking about the improvisers yeah. around that as well. Yeah, I, I think uh, I'm, I'm with you on the after show. I think debriefs are very important, even if it is just a simple, everyone feel good? Yeah, good. Okay, let's go. Whatever it is, just something like that. Yep. And I, I do, I like trying to make them very formal. Every, the uh, the improvisers sit down, I sit down in front of everyone like a director and we just do notes just to yep. get it done. And then now we can all let it go and go have fun or something. Um, but I think yeah. the shop talk part of it, I think the biggest improv shop talk, the equivalent to improv shop talk I can think of is the, um, is the like, oh, I should have done this, which is something that improvisers yeah. love to do. The should have, oh, I could have done this or, oh, I, well, this is the line that would have been perfect. And we like, th- they, they, they think of them like to talk about all the things they wish they did. Um, which is, I think, uh, it's such a classic improv shop talking thing. Uh, I tried to avoid it. Yeah. I tried. I tried to like not think, not to do like, uh, oh, it would have been great ifs. Uh, but the, that's the, the phrase you hear all the time. Oh, it would have been great if if I if you saw me coming out, and then we could have. Uh, and you like plan like what would have been better. I try not. To, I try to discourage that. Yeah. Discourage that and encourage more of the. The like, I was totally going to do this and then you did that and like talk about the moments of like, yeah, yeah. what was happening in our heads when we were on stage. That's fun to talk about. But what we wish we did, I think dwell, you start dwelling on that. And then like you always think of the best thing you could have said five minutes later, you know, 
Yeah, it's, yeah, you could never, you, you could never, you know, retcon rescript the yeah. whole show. You're just going to be there kicking yourself for the rest yeah. of the night. Like, oh, I should have done you're this. You're going to do it anyway. Great, but let's not talk about it too. Like, you can think about it and like yeah, do yeah. that to like next time I'm in a situation where I'm a bear and the person I'm on stage with doesn't <laughs> see me because they're too busy. To, uh, I'm going to say this. It's like, yeah, like that moment. As ever. long as you don't spend the next. Six months trying to make that happen in the scene. It's like, I'll be the bear. Stop being a bear, Jason. Stop it. (laughs) I'll stop it when I get my gag in. Oh, okay. Uh, All right, let's hit this big one here. Uh, and then we'll and then we'll okay. do a few rapid fire questions. So here's the big one, and I think mm. it's it's ties into things we've been talking about forever. But uh, some some artists, mm-hmm. some artists. I'm going to read it verbatim because it's from uh, yeah. Stephen Ray or PhD. Um, some artists are searching to make that piece, that thing that will endure beyond them, their legacy. Because improvisational theater is so ephemeral a form, what kind of legacy does it leave behind? Stephen Rayor, PhD. Uh, great question from my good friend Steve-O. Hi, Steve-O. Uh, it's, yeah. It's, hey, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's It's very... It's a, it's a deep question. I don't think we need to get... It I don't think we need to question. fall too deep into it. But I think it is an interesting thing to think about, this idea that... Uh, and to me, uh, the idea that improv is, is an ephemeral art form, that it does only exist in the moment, is what makes it so beautiful to me. I, I love that. It's like a haiku of improv, uh, trying to capture, like there's only a, was one moment that exists and a haiku tries to capture it. Uh, but improv, we just experience it and then it's gone. It's like, it's like a gust of wind. Yeah. It's like a gust of wind or a shooting star. Uh, and I, I try to make that comparison to improv being like Haley's Comet, where it only happens that one time in your life that you get to see it or, or a supernova or something like that. Uh, it's these like, <laughs> every scene is as important as a supernova. Like you're only going to see it that one time, and it's just it's amazing. Instead of falling into this yeah. thought of it's because it's ephemeral and and it, it only exists for that moment, we should treat it like it's tissue paper or toilet paper and just use it and throw it away. Uh, I, I much more yeah. prefer looking at it as something a, a, a profound moment and a way to truly, as a group of people, experience this moment together and create something together. Uh, and so that to me is the whole beauty of it so so legacy has very little to do with the art legacy i think in improv has to do more with the uh all the um for lack of a better word the 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 politics of improv i guess or like the 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 ego ego or or the or the like yeah building a name for yourself and marketing and stuff like having a company that's made like a, a famous theater that everybody knows about and like that's the legacy you're leaving behind like your dent in the universe uh whereas the art form itself i think has has very little to do with that and and legacy thinking in the art form is when you start performing for the camera instead of the audience in front of you and i think that when that happens you start losing the art form yeah legacy is an interesting thing with with improv because i've been thinking about it uh recently and it's one of those things that's like well how would how would you do you like to be remembered like mm. and 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 what a, the most satisfying thing for me is to have another improviser say i remember that thing you said 4 years ago that one thing and that made me think about this 
And that's the legacy that I want. Like, I don't care for form. I don't care. I just know that an idea that I've shared is going to help someone else have another idea. And that's going to turn into something else that is going to have no traceable thing back to me. But I know that it's part of a chain. It's part of that 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 thing, and and that legacy lives on. Those ideas yeah. live on, and 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 it's. Uh, I think everything you get is going to inform you as an improviser. So if you can share those unique views, that maybe a splice of this or a splice of that, or just a rephrasing of something that you've heard that resonates with someone else, that's your legacy right there. Like that's the the yeah. way that you've you've passed it on. But you don't get the other thing is. And it's hard when you see people trying to make a legacy for themselves is you don't get to control your legacy. That's completely outside of you can try to stamp it and, 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 and make it, but it's completely outside of your control, really. It's your actions um, will do it. But the way people remember you, the way the art form is going to remember you isn't up to you. Yeah. And the sooner you die, the better it will remember you. That's always the rule with legacy, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah like is, everyone yeah. remembers Del Close in this very, like, you know, guru light because he died fairly young, whereas Keith Johnstone is yeah. still alive. <laughs> and his legacy is not yeah. getting better. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, I think this there's this, like, uh, this old, like, you know, uh, a Taoist like story that I'll, I'll I'll put into improv terms for you, but if if someone yep. came to you and said, "Hey Jason, would you rather be uh, dead but remembered for great things that you've done and had an effect on the universe, or would you rather be alive improvising?" And there's no real question. I'd rather be alive and improvising, yeah. and I think that's the that's yeah. the point. Is like is focusing on the being dead and having something left behind is the least improviser thing I can think to do. Yeah, uh, I just yeah, and I yeah, I I think uh, and and the shame is uh, I've seen it happen. <laughs> yeah, with, with a bunch of people, you know, who 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 lose lose track of that alive and improvising, and then just. You know, get a sniff of legacy, and away they yeah. go. Go on, a, <laughs> on a book and, tour instead of an improv show. Maybe. Yeah, and so uh, and you know, all power yeah. to them. Uh, <laughs> do you want to hit off some of these rapid fire questions I have here, or do you think that's a let's that, do that it? Was, that was a nice, nice, uh, nice big question there to get out. I think it was good to get it out. Um, okay, here we go. I just got a few quick ones for you today. Uh, uh, we might have answered some of these already in just the discussion, but here you go. Uh, first one. I find I'm not very funny. Is that what improv is? <laughs> no. Okay, good. Uh, it's not. Uh, improv is not <laughs> <yeah>. being funny. <laughs> uh, what's the difference between doing a style inspired by versus copying? Well, I think we did a whole. I think we did a uh, whole episode on that, right? Uh, see episode yeah, yeah, three. Genre out. is that episode three? Yeah, genre and formats a little, but yeah, genre is probably uh, we cover that off. Um, basically, uh, the infra the difference is uh, copying will restrict you, inspired by will free you. Great. Uh, do audiences only give suggestions at the beginning? Is there ever interaction during the scenes? Yes. Yes, there is sometimes. Yeah, yeah. You, you can do it anytime you want. Uh, sometimes it's structured into the format, but also their interaction is them laughing, them mm-hmm. gasping, them crying, them their energy. I mean, it's yeah. always interaction. Sometimes it's formally. You break the fourth wall and yeah. keep asking for things during the scene, uh, but generally, 
there's always interaction. I used to do this a lot with when solo work because uh, I'd get one person in the audience to give me a suggestion, and then throughout the show, I'd just keep turning the, to them and asking them more information about it. <laughs> like, yeah. The suggestion would be like, what do you do for a living? All right, cool. And then I would do it, and then in the scene, I'd stop, and I'd be like, is that what would happen? What would I say? And then like get them to help me. So lots, <laughs> lots of times to do interaction throughout the scene. Uh, what's the best suggestion you've ever gotten? Mm. Oh, mm, so. I, uh, that's a juicy one. It's going to break my yeah. brain. Can you think of one? Um, I can. I don't. I can't. I can't remember. Like I don't. There's the amount of times now, twenty plus years down the track, that people have come to me and say, "I saw you do this thing," and I can't even remember doing the mm-hmm. thing that uh, that they saw and has stuck with them and have felt the need to tell me about all these years later. Um. So I. I don't. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. All of them are good. The best suggestion is the thing that makes me improvise right then and there. There are suggestions that are memorable to me, but it doesn't necessarily mean they were the best. I think that's the real. Like, yeah, yeah. I remember a coat hanger being a suggestion in Berlin once because Taz Van Rassel, yeah. who spoke no German the whole trip, I was working my ass off learning German and he didn't at all. Someone said coat hanger in German and he came out and was like, coat hanger. And I was like, how the fuck? I've been what? Just because he'd learned it right backstage somehow. Um, but I think the best suggestion I can remember getting was actually in Amsterdam at the festival we met at, the show that Missy and I did, because mm-hmm. the suggestion was Je pense donc je suis. And it was in French from a mm-hmm. French speaking improviser uh, or person. I assume they were an improviser at a festival, but maybe they weren't. Uh, je pense donc je suis, which is I think, therefore I am, but in French, which I was like, oh, wow. I've never heard that in French, but I guess that makes sense. <laughs> it also would yeah. be in French. Uh, and then my character ended up being this French uh, viol- or like music salesman or something because um, of that yeah. suggestion. And so, so I remember that, I just, that, that suggestion sticks out in my mind. I don't know if it was the best suggestion I've ever got, but the fact that it was in French just complex made the suggestion so much more complex. Uh, yeah. I could tell you a string of the worst suggestions I've got, but that's a whole different show. <laughs> and you know what? Everyone's had them. <laughs> We've all had them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, and last question. What if you make a mistake? Like calling someone the wrong name. I like I like that specific example because it happens so often in, in scenes. Yeah. But uh, what do you do? What do you do? You make a mistake? Uh, uh, either get corrected by the other improviser or realize that uh, uh, after the show that I called you the wrong name and go, oh, well. <laughs> like it, Basically, it's an oh, well yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I can't dwell on it. Call someone the wrong name, the character might be like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I, I called you. I realized I called you yeah, Janine. Yeah. I was, I'm so sorry. And make it part of the character's yeah, choice. Yeah. Um, or just keep calling on that. I think one of the biggest tips yeah. is if you make a mistake, <laughs> is just keep making it, and then it's not a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> it's a new it's a new idea. <laughs> it's, a new- <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a game. I was playing a game where I was calling everybody the wrong name. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hush my buzz, man. Uh, That was the best offer I've ever made. It was amazing. It was an awesome. Yeah. Any any of those wide eyed kind of mistakes that make you go wide eyed for a second, it's just probably best to move on. Like you know, and uh, either correct yourself or don't dwell on it because it's gonna it's gonna suck the momentum out of the scene. So uh, if it's if it's crucial to it, you might write it. And the audience will be happy because it allows them to invest more, or you might just yeah sink yeah. out of it. <laughs> just go okay, keep going. That's it. Yeah, you ever done one of those uh, like uh, 
Every time of those, like, uh, I don't know, I think of them as like hard reset moments where like everything's really confusing in the scene and you're not sure who's who anymore. Like it's gotten so bad and your character in character, you go, hold on. So wait, you're married to him and trying to get with this yeah. and you hate me because I did this, right? Okay. Have you ever done one of those? <laughs> well, <laughs> Where it's so yeah. confusing. Middle Ditch and Swatch do one of those in, in their second episode because it's all set in one location. They're playing all the different yeah. characters except they break character completely and go, hang on a minute, who's sitting here and who's yeah, over yeah. there? And all oh, that yeah, that one's th- that's can, good too, can, breaking out and doing it. You can do that too, but. Yeah, you, yeah. you ever done it in character? <laughs> I, I've done it a few times in my life. I can, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Where the, the yeah. character is trying yeah. to get things clear, and then the audience goes, "Yeah, yeah." The audience goes, "Oh, yeah," or they go, "Yeah, that's right." And you go, "Thank you." Okay, let's go. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> just to just to. And I, you're never going to lose again, unless it becomes a self, completely self indulgent thing. You're never going to lose the audience for doing something mm-hmm. like that because they are then they start getting nervous for you when they see you making mistakes. So if you clarify that stuff, it means they can relax and invest in the show again. Uh, you don't want the audience getting nervous for you. Yeah, totally. um, because, yeah, it, it, it puts them onto their heels rather than invites them into the show. Yeah. So, so sometimes taking the plunge like that and just doing it in character or whatever, is, uh, it makes the audience just relax a little bit and then they can invest. Yeah, same again. goes if you don't know what the word somebody said means. Someone uses a fancy word in a scene. Yep. If you don't know what it means, most of the audience probably doesn't, and your character probably yeah. doesn't too. So just have your character say, "Sorry, uh, what is what do you what do you mean by that?" And just there you go, and ask just, just go into it. It's fine. Yeah, cool, man. Uh, all right, nice Q and A. We still have so many questions left, so we might yeah. have to do a third. Oh my god, <laughs> third episode. Oh, just it's, you know what? I'm actually <laughs> we do have. I'm actually just adding more questions secretly when you're not paying attention, just so. <laughs> just so we have to do another like, one wait hang on i thought we did <laughs> i'm making up names like, to- toby wants to know <laughs> just so that we have to do another one of these i'm trying to trying to steal more of your time uh, yeah so maybe we will do another one what do you think let's do another one yeah sure yeah sure probably why not Let's uh, uh, so let's have uh, people listen to the two that are out there, and if there are any follow-up questions or other burning questions, uh, send them all in. Yeah, if you are hearing this, please send in a question. We'll answer it. 